the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. A lot going on today. We'll try to cover at least most of it. Uh, James Blind is engineering today's program and producing today's program. Glad to have you with us. Today we're going to talk with Denise Pass. She is the author of Shame Off You. You know the phrase, shame on you. Well, this is the opposite. From Hiding to Healing. She'll join us later this hour. And then in the five o'clock hour, we'll talk with Sandy Snavely and Connie McClellan. They are presenters. Uh, Sandy, the keynote. Connie, the MC, and one of the... A masterclass teachers of the Masterpiece Conference, The Art of Finishing Well. That's coming up on the 20th of October, and you can uh, find out more at themasterpiececonference.com for more information and to register. uh, They'll be joining me in the 5 o'clock hour. First, taking a look at some of the developing news stories, some of which have come to fruition, and we'll talk more about that momentarily. In an exclusive interview with Fox News, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh emphatically denied all the sexual misconduct allegations against him and vowed not to withdraw his name for consideration on the high court. He was accompanied by his wife for that interview. President Trump and Republican senators are throwing their full support behind the nominee. They blasted Democrats for a last minute smear campaign, setting up a potentially explosive Senate hearing this Thursday if it happens with the judge's first accuser, Christine Blasey Ford. More on that. Uh, momentarily as well. And after initial widespread conflicting reports, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and the president are scheduled to uh, meet on Thursday, despite rumors to the contrary earlier this week. They're going to discuss his role in recent controversies and possibly his future in the administration. And the president addressed the United Nations General Assembly today after uh, raising hope for another summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un on Monday. You know a little bit more about that as well. Well, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh strongly denied accusations accusations of sexual misconduct that have threatened to derail his confirmation in an exclusive interview. What I know is the truth, and the truth is I've never sexually assaulted anyone, Kavanaugh told Martha McCallum on Fox News. Kavanaugh's wife, Ashley, said the allegations against her husband were hard to believe. I know Brett. I've known him for 17 years, she said. He's decent. He's kind. He's good. I know his heart. This is not consistent with Brett. Well, California professor Christine Blasey Ford has accused him of covering her mouth and trying to remove her clothing at a party in the early 1980s when both were in high school but are set to, both rather are set to testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee on Thursday although that has been thrown into doubt uh, this afternoon well in an interv- in that interview rather Kavanaugh emphatically denied the claims against him telling McCallum that uh, he was a virgin through high school and for many years after. He also told McCallum that he would not withdraw his name from consideration over the allegations. He also denied a New Yorker um, a report published Sunday night in which classmate Deborah Ramirez said he exposed himself to her while they were students at Yale, pointing out that the New York Times said, said it couldn't corroborate her claims. In addition, the Supreme Court nominee said claims by attorney Michael Avenatti that he and his high school friend Mark Judge had plied women with drugs and alcohol at parties so other other men could, well, have their way with them were totally false and outrageous. This is spiraling to uh, heights where it's even difficult to make reference to what's being said. 
Well, President Trump reaffirmed his support for Supreme Court nominee Kavanaugh in a tweet late Monday and blamed Democrats for working to destroy a wonderful man by casting a series of false accusations. The Democrats are working hard to destroy a wonderful man, a man who has the potential to be one of our greatest Supreme Court justices ever. The president went on to tweet with an array of false accusations, the likes of which have never been seen before. Well, Trump's uh, tweet came after several Republican senators voiced their support for Kavanaugh and slammed what they characterized as last-minute smear tactics by Democrats. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who delivered a nationally televised speech on the Senate floor on Monday defending Kavanaugh, vowed an up-or-down vote on the nominee after the planned hearing on Thursday. In an interview on Hannity, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham charged that Democrats' complaints about rushing the Kavanaugh confirmation vote are like an arsonist complaining about a fire. Despite top Democrats' calls to delay the hearing pending an FBI investigation, the Thursday Senate gathering with Kavanaugh and Ford still appears likely, although that's been thrown into uh, some doubt. Uh, We'll tell you more about that momentarily. And for now, President Trump is scheduled to meet with Rod Rosenstein also on Thursday, according to the White House, seeming to tamp down speculation that the deputy attorney general faces the prospect of an immediate firing over damaging press report. The number two justice official who frequently finds himself in a political crosshairs due to his role overseeing the special counsel's Russia probe and involvement in other controversies was the subject of numerous conflicting reports. I would call it speculation, on Monday. One initial report indicated the embattled official had already quit, while sources uh, and other outlets um, said that he was heading to the White House expecting to be fired in the wake of a story claiming he suggested wearing a wire against the president and invoking the 25th Amendment to remove him from office last year. But the White House put out a brief statement saying Rosenstein and uh, the president will meet Thursday when the president returns from New York. And President Trump addressed the United Nations General Assembly today, All eyes were on how he addressed North Korea as he sought another summit with Kim Jong-un in progress and efforts to denuclearize the rogue nation and in how addresses um, uh, the uh, the growing trade war with China. On Monday, the president and South Korean President Moon Jae-in signed a major agreement of the president's trade agenda, also revealed he'd uh, meet again with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un quite soon. He struck a conciliatory tone one year after he used his debut at the U.N. to deride Kim as little rocket man and threatened to totally destroy North Korea. Oh, what a difference 360-something days makes. And on this day in 1981... Sandra Day O'Connor is sworn in as the first female justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. On this day in 1956, the year I was born, the first transatlantic telephone cable officially goes into service with a three-way ceremonial call between New York, Ottawa, and London. And on this day in 1911, I wasn't there for that, ground is broken for Boston's Fenway Park. Fourteen minutes after uh, four o'clock is the time. Uh, Coming up later this hour, we'll talk with Denise Pass. Her book is titled Shame Off You. From Hiding to Healing, the book is published by Abingdon, and she'll join us later this hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back 18 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, disgraced comedian Bill Cosby will serve 3 to 10 years in state prison. Montgomery County Judge Stephen T. O'Neill ruled today. The former television superstar who traded on a squeaky clean fatherly image was sentenced after being found guilty of three counts of felony aggravated indecent assault in April in one of the most widely publicized trials in modern history. He was escorted to the prison where he will spend the next three to ten years, although his uh, counsel indicated they do intend to appeal. 
And the top Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee acknowledged today that she can't guarantee the woman accusing Supreme Court nominee Judge Brett Kavanaugh of sexual assault will show up to testify at a looming hearing as her attorney raises concerns about the format. Christine Blasey Ford's attorney, uh, Michael Bromwich, specifically complained about Republicans hiring outside counsel to question his client during the public hearing. Now, to put this into context, the Republicans uh, on the Judiciary Committee, all of whom are male and have been described as old white men, with the exception of one who's actually relatively young, um, have been criticized for even presuming to question this woman and uh, the the claims that she's made of assault. So they decided it would be better for her and for them if they hired a woman to ask the questions for them. Well, now they're being criticized for that. So I'm not sure what uh, what options are available to them. But in a late Monday letter to the committee, Bromwich, uh, he requested the prosecutor's resume immediately and asked to meet with the lawyer. Sources say that the committee Republicans hired a female prosecutor who specializes in sex crimes in preparation to hear Ford's testimony, though it remains unclear whether she would lead the committee's questioning. The planning, though, prompted the letter of concern from Bromwich, once again, throwing into doubt whether the hearing will go forward. And by the way, my understanding is the uh, person they have hired uh, would ask questions, but members on the committee would also be free to uh, use their own time, but could cede it to her uh, if they so cho- uh, chose. We also learned today that the uh, second Kavanaugh accuser is refusing to respond to Congress's invitation uh, to um, speak to Congress. An attorney for Deborah Ramirez, who alleges the Supreme Court nominee exposed himself to her during their freshman year at Yale University after having told several friends that she wasn't sure who it was, and certainly not that it was Ramirez, but after having met with her attorney for six days, is now certain, uh, said that she will not speak to the Senate Judiciary Committee about the allegation, according to Senator John Kennedy, who sits on the committee. Our counsel repeatedly tried to uh, reach him, Kennedy said on Tuesday, referring to Ramirez's attorney. Uh, They finally did reach him, and he said, we are not issuing a statement. He said, if you want our statement, read The New Yorker. So that stands on its its own. And again, the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, we learned today, is um, planning to reschedule their vote on uh, Brett Kavanaugh to Friday morning. That's assuming that on Thursday there's a hearing. If there's not a hearing, my understanding is they're still going to schedule a vote on whether or not to um, move the nomination uh, with recommendation or without onto the full Senate floor. The Judiciary Committee announced today that it had rescheduled that vote uh, for Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination for Friday morning. The vote is scheduled to take place at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, one day after the uh, um, accused and the accuser have an opportunity to be heard due to testify before lawmakers on Thursday. And you can only imagine the response to that. Meanwhile, a Democrat senator suggesting that if President Donald Trump withdraws Brett Kavanaugh's nomination, Democrats could hold the Supreme Court seat open until after the 2020 election. Now, that's assuming, of course, they have the majority in the House or the Senate or the House and the Senate. She's suggesting that they simply would delay making the uh, uh, holding any hearings on that uh, potential nominee until President Donald Trump is up for reelection. And they, of course, would prefer that he not be reelected holding it up for two years. Others are suggesting that if he is confirmed, we'll just simply 
impeach him. Again, midterm elections weighing heavily on those uh, those plans. Well, President Trump was met with awkward laughter from a U.N. General Assembly audience today while boasting of successes under his administration, but brushed off the response as he doubled down on an American first agenda at the globalist body. The president prompted laughter and gasps from the audience when he claimed that in less than two years, my administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. It is a bold boast. I didn't expect that reaction, the president went on to say, but that's okay. He chuckled in response. But as the president stood in in the symbolic heart of global governance, he espoused an unashamedly nationalist doctrine that underscored his administration's tensions with the U.N. We will never surrender American sovereignty to an unelected, unaccountable global bureaucracy. America is governed by Americans, he said. We reject the ideology of globalism and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. He later added that America will always choose independence and cooperation over global governance, control and domination. He echoed a similar theme from his 2017 address when he called on the all countries to put their own interests first. The United States will not tell you how to live, work or worship. We only ask that you honor our sovereignty in return. Well, the Washington, D.C. chapter of Antifa sent a message to Senator Ted Cruz early Tuesday morning after chasing him out of a restaurant, telling him that he is not safe, threatening a U.S. senator. One wonders, is there a penalty for that? although identifying those who refuse to be identified by wearing masks is another subject altogether. While the senator was dining Monday night with his wife, Heidi, when a large crowd of protesters flooded the restaurant shouting, we believe survivors, they were referring to allegations of sexual misconduct against Judge Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court nominee who Cruz supports. Uh, Cruz and his wife promptly left. A recording of the incident soon was tweeted by Smash Racism DC, unrelated to this subject, by the way, a branch of Antifa based in Washington with a hashtag Hashtag cancel Kavanaugh. Hours later, Smash Racism DC doubled down on its harassment of the senator. No, you can't eat in peace. Your politics are an attack on all of us. So apparently with uh, those with whom one disagrees, you can deprive the freedom to simply navigate life unmolested. And President Trump and his South Korean counterpart on Monday signed the first major trade agreement finalizing, uh, finalized rather during the Trump presidency, a deal which U.S. officials say will reduce a U.S. trade deficit that more than doubled since the original U.S.-Korea Free Trade Agreement, or CORUS, came into effect in 2012. Before the signing in New York, the president hailed the move as an historic milestone in trade, while President Moon Jae-in characterized it as an, an expansion of the rock-solid alliance between the two countries. And the president and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un could meet for a second summit before the end of this year, according to South Korean president. The uh, president, Moon Jae-in, replied yes when asked during an interview with the Fox News' Brett Baer whether he expected the two world leaders to meet in the coming weeks. And when asked whether that meeting could take place before the end of the year, Moon replied yes I believe so. Now, that's Moon responding on behalf of the U.S. president. So uh, maybe he knows something, maybe not. He said, I traveled to Pyongyang last year and had a very good meeting with Chairman Kim. And through the summit meeting, we had achieved some progress on denuclearization. We talked uh, some about that uh, earlier, the use of the term and what uh, Moon and uh, Kim uh, Jong-un are reaching for, which falls far short. And let me emphasize far short of what the United States should be calling for before moving forward. But President Trump yesterday congratulated me on the major success he went on to say on the meeting uh, I had in Pyongyang. And I look forward to a summit meeting taking place between Chairman Kim and President Trump in the not too distant future. Again, a lot riding on progress that's made and the demands that are made by uh, the president or his 
his operatives prior to another sit-down with Kim Jong-un. And the, the president or the administration uh, has terminated a government contract to buy fetal tissue from a research firm and will conduct an audit of any such research subsidized by federal taxpayers. This is certainly a major pro-life victory. Earlier this year, the Food and Drug Administration signed a one-year $15,900 contract with Advanced Bioscience Resources to acquire human fetal tissue for implantation into severely immune-compromised mice to create chimeric animals that have a human immune system. The contract, first reported on CNS News, prompted 45 pro-life leaders to sign on to a letter to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, calling for an end to the government's use of tissue from aborted babies for research. The Susan B. Anthony list led the effort to expose the government contract with a California-based research firm. Well, late Monday, the Department of Health and Human Services issued a statement announcing termination of that contract. After a recent review of a contract between Advanced Bioscience Resources, Inc. and the Food and Drug Administration to provide human fetal tissue to develop testing protocols, HHS was not sufficiently assured that the contract included the appropriate protections applicable to fetal tissue research or met all other procurement requirements. As a result, that contract has been terminated and HHS is now conducting an audit of all acquisitions involving human fetal tissue to ensure conformity with procurement and human fetal tissue research laws and regulations. While the Food and Drug Administration pre-solicitation notice had said that Advanced Bioscience Resources is the only company in the U.S. capable of supplying the fetal tissue and no other company or organization is capable of fulfilling the need. Advanced Bioscience Resources reportedly is among the entities under referral for a criminal investigation into whether they profited from the sale of tissue from aborted babies. Among the company's sources uh, for fetal tissue are Planned Parenthood-affiliated clinics. In 2015, the Pro-Life Center for Medical Progress, you might recall, released a series of hidden camera videos in which officials and others in the abortion industry appear to discuss selling aborted baby body parts. I would say appeared as a bit of a light way of putting what was clearly the case. The videos led to a House Select Committee investigation and renewed calls for Congress to defund Planned Parenthood. Well, the most recent spending bill passed by Congress maintained spending for Planned Parenthood, however. The statement on Monday said the Department of Health and Human Services has initiated a comprehensive review of all research involving fetal tissue to ensure consistency with statutes and regulations governing such research and to ensure the adequacy of procedures and oversight of this research in light of the serious regulatory, moral, and ethical considerations involved, end quote. Finally, they went on to say that HHS is continuing to review whether adequate alternatives exist for the use of human fetal tissue in HHS fund research and will ensure, rather, will ensure that efforts to develop such alternatives are funded, funded and accelerated. The letter to Azar earlier this month from the 45 pro-life leaders said, we were shocked and dismayed at the news reports that the Food and Drug Administration has signed a contract to purchase fresh aborted fetal organs from advanced bioscience research or resources for the purpose of creating humanized mice with human immune systems. We expect far better from our federal agencies, especially under the leadership of a courageous pro-life president entrusted with the health of American citizens. It is completely unacceptable to discover that the FDA is using federal tax dollars and fomenting demand for human body parts taken from babies who are aborted. The federal government must find ethical alternatives as soon as possible and should end all association with those who participate in any trafficking or procurement of aborted baby organs. No taxpayer dollars should continue to go to this gruesome practice. Again, the reversal on the part 
of the FDA. 30 minutes after four o'clock is the time. Up next, we're going to talk with Denise Pass. She is the author of Shame Off You, From Hiding to Healing. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 34 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, shame impacts everyone, and it can be catastrophic to your identity and to your self-worth. If it's left unattended, shame can become an unbearable trap of condemnation that fills our hearts with painful lies. Well, in her new book, Shame Off You, Denise Pass uses her personal story to share how God can bring healing and restoration and how he can actually use our shame for good. Now, for those who are trapped in it, that may be a difficult concept to grasp, but we're going to talk about that. In Shame Off You, uh, she uses a devotional at the end of each chapter to guide readers through the biblical way to process feelings of shame. And through the biblical lens of discernment, she shows how God's word enables us to remove shame and how he can use conviction as a powerful tool to bring his people back to himself. And that always is ultimately the goal. Well, Denise Pass is the author of the book we're talking about today. She's also the book, uh, the author rather, of 31 Days to Hope Reinvented, is an award-winning CCM recording artist and song singer-songwriter, accomplished writer, blogger, speaker, worship leader, and podcaster. It's a wonder she has time to talk with us today. After a crushing discovery of her former husband's hidden life as a sex offender and surviving a painful divorce, she now shares an inspirational message of seeing the deeper truth in God's Word when life hurts through her ministry, Seeing Deep minist- uh, Ministries. Denise resides in Virginia with her kinsman redeemer husband and their five children she joins us today to talk about her book shame off you from hiding to healing thank you so much for joining us today well thank you so much for having me well let's begin with a bit of your story tell us a bit about yourself and how shame become became such an uh, an important issue for you to have to grapple with uh, in order to help others to overcome Sure. Well, you know, I think all of us have shame in our life in some way. It's just intertwined in our culture. But for me, um, you know, I thought I kind of had the the perfect life. You know, I I waited for marriage. I had a homeschool mom. You know, you try to do everything right. And suddenly we found ourselves in a situation we never would have imagined. As you already shared, where my uh, ex-husband was found to be a sex offender. And the whole history of what I thought I knew, I didn't. And so even though some people say, well, people feel shame for their own sin, you can feel immense. Mm-hmm. Shame when things happen in your family that you may not have caused, but you still feel uh, incredible shame, like you just wish you could disappear. Mm. Now let's let's define what we mean by shame, because I think sometimes there's confusion about the conviction of the Holy Spirit as opposed to uh, to shame, which one wants to move pa- move past. Definitely. You know, I think of shame as condemnation. It's an accusation on our soul. And, you know, we have an accuser, Mm -hmm. Satan, our enemy, and he loves to accuse us, and we feel defined by that accusation. It's a label we can't get rid of. But conviction is all about redemption and relationship. We can do something about it because the Holy Spirit who's convicting us is drawing us near and revealing our sins so that we can bring it and repent. And now, if it's not something we cause and if there isn't sin involved, it's still, you know, we may feel conviction for shame that we didn't cause because how we responded to that shame could have gotten us entrapped, you know, with shame of some sort, like we could have become embittered or angry or full of hate. You know, we could have let it uh, work sin in our own lives, even if we didn't cause it. 
Well, that's the, the next question I wanted to ask you. What is the consequence of harboring shame, not dealing with it? What kind of a negative impact might we expect? Because we might become quite comfortable with our shame. We might imagine that there's no, uh, no life apart from it or, or beyond it. Uh, what are the, the, the primary reasons for dealing with it in order to move past? Yes, that's a great question because, first off, a lot of people don't recognize shame in our life. You know, we can make excuses for it. Oh, that person's just shy. Well, why are they shy? What is inhibiting them being, you know, all that they're supposed to be? And there may be some insecurity or some wound in the background, the root of that shame that they haven't even recognized. But we have to deal with shame because what it does is it prevents us from living that abundant life Christ has for us. And it's a distraction living on mission for God. You know, we spend so, I know for myself, I spent years, you know, just wondering, what is that person thinking about me? You know, are you hear rumors or gossip, you know, mm-hmm. this person said this and that. And it's such a distraction, and really when we're so focused on self, because that's what shame does, we aren't focused on all the hurting people around us who need the gospel. And so shame just causes us to be focused on self. It limits our worth, and it hurts our relationship with God and others. You know, we, we doubt God's goodness. You know, we can live defeated and discouraged lives. So when we deal and recognize shame, you know, a lot of times we want to hide it or give it another name. But if we will be willing to not be put off by shame, but examine it biblically, and I go through this in my book, mm-hmm. we can be free from it. And it's, it's not free from it because we hide it anymore. It's because we can examine it and be humble enough to receive what we need to and then move on with our life. Now, the book is very practical. I mentioned that there is a devotional after uh, each chapter to help uh, discover what does the scripture have to say? Where do I move from here? The book is divided into three parts. Part one is shame's foundation. Part two, shame's impact. And the third part of the book, overcoming shame. Describe for our listeners who don't have a copy in front of them, as I do, how the book is structured and how you would like to see it used to best effect. Definitely. Um, So at first there is that recognition, you know, that's the whole foundation and looking maybe back and seeing where shame entered your life. Uh, For me, there's some personal stories, you know, intertwined in each chapter where I talk about even being a little girl and uh, being taken to a nude beach as a little girl and what that did to me and the entrance of shame in my life. So I wouldn't have called it that, you know, but the impact it made on me. And so we look at shame, where was it born in our life and how it condemns us. And then we look at the roots of it. And I also talk about the cycles. There's the cycle of shame and there's a cycle of redemption, which is the shame off you cycle. The cycle of shame starts with that condemnation. You know, we all feel like less than or we're not enough. You know, what I always say now, my answer for that is, I'm not enough. And it's okay to admit that. We will never be enough. But Christ is our sufficiency. But often we try to perform or be enough. And Mm -hmm. from that condemnation, we can go to comparison. You know, maybe that person's worse than me or I'm not good enough as that person is. And that leads us to a crisis. We can't get rid of this shame by comparing. What do we do with it now? And there is a place there where we could jump to the cycle of redemption, which first has that revelation of you have shame in your life. You know, if we will reflect with God's Word, a biblical filter, we can lead to repentance and restoration. But if we don't do that, that crisis becomes a commitment on the shame cycle. 
And so that's what that foundation is. It's revealing how shame, the inner workings of it, if you will, in our culture and interpersonally in our lives, in our relationships. Um, and then it goes through a biblical filter of truth, humility, and grace. And you know uh, how I came with this filter, came up with it, I was at a She Speaks conference. It's a writing conference of Proverbs 31 Ministries. And I was just on my knees with this message. And I said, God, I just want to present what you have for me to present. What What is it about shame? You know, even though I already had a full, uh, you know, thing written up that I was going to present to the publishers, I still felt like there was something more. And that's when I read Proverbs 11, 2, which says, with pride comes shame, but with humility comes wisdom. And that was the missing piece for me was we try to get rid of shame with pride. You can't say that about me, you know, and and it's all about self. But if we're willing to look at it with this biblical filter of truth, you know, ask the Lord to reveal, is there any truth behind that accusation of shame knocking on the door of our minds? And if there isn't, then let it go. And if there is, it's it's no longer an accusation. It's a gift that we can see that, and we can ask God to remove that in Jesus' name. And with humility, I recognize that I'm capable of shameful things, even if, you know, I didn't do this one thing, you know. And it's God's grace, then, yes. that leads us to learn from shame. You know, we have the ability to filter things out. Now, you know, I recently experienced this. Um, if you've ever been in, in church and you're a leader in a church, you're going to have time where people approach you and they're ready to shame you with something. They caught you, or they think they caught you. (laughs) (laughs) And they come and share it. And the Lord is just, it's just so wonderful and freeing to be able to say, when the person comes, I care more about the person bringing the accusation than myself. Why are they feeling that need to come and shame me, for instance? And what is the root there? And to care for their soul. And, and to be able to listen and say, oh, wow, thank you for sharing that. I mean, authentically. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? Think about it. You know what? You might have something there. I'm going to pray about it. Boy, does that surprise people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what? You're not going to, like, get mad at me? <laughs> you know? Um, so there's a whole foundation, that's the process of it, that biblical filter, and we have to recognize, too, I then go on to defeating it, you know, we have to see the obstacles that prevent us from ridding ourselves from shame, it really is difficult. Uh, and I love near the end, and I will tell you, every chapter I had moments of weeping and laughing, because I do make fun of myself in the book. <laughs> I have so many shameful moments where I'm like, wow, you know, I, things that you never want to tell people. I'm like, you know what? I'm not ashamed of them anymore. I'm just going to put it out there if it helps somebody. Yeah. Um, but at the end is when Christ, and we see this, for the joy set before him, and we know this scripture, he endured the cross. But what I love about this passage is, in the New Living Translation, it says he didn't regard shame. You know, another, I think it's NIV, says scorning its shame. And that word regard is like Christ chose to come in shame. You know, he didn't have to. He could have died for our sins without the shame. I mean, sometimes we get mad, but why do we have to go through all of it? I know uh, in my situation, being in court for five years and feeling so so much shame from that. And I remember looking up this one moment and God, I don't understand. Mm. We're going to take a quick break, but we will return. We're talking with Denise Pass. Her book is titled Shame Off You. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
We're back 52 minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Denise Pass. And I apologize. You were telling us a bit about your saga with your husband and spending time in court before our hard break. The book is Shame Off You. And uh, the book really is a very practical help uh, for those who are bearing the, the weight of shame and how to take a biblical uh, approach and response to uh, this thing that can prevent us from becoming all that God intends for us to be. Now, again, I apologize for having to uh, to go to break, but you were telling us about the challenge of the season in which you were in court regularly because of your husband and his uh, sex offense uh, that that was uh, on on trial. Yes, and uh, no problem about the break. I understand. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it was that moment of crying out to God and just, you know, really feeling self-pity, right? And it, not that it isn't wrong to have anguish and, and wonder why, but in that moment, I saw my Savior and what He was willing to do for me. And I was complaining about it in my spirit and not understanding. It didn't seem fair. And and yet there was this moment of, you know, whatever shame happens in my life, I just want His glory. Let me glorify you, God, even in the midst of this, and let me not regard shame, just like you did it. And it's just such sweet, sweet victory. Mm. Now, what are some common examples of shame coping mechanisms to avoid falling into um, the kinds of traps that uh, are common if you're not really sure what, what you're looking for or what some of these uh, mechanisms are? Right. And it's funny. I, I use kind of like there's the everyday things that we deal with that we wouldn't probably recognize as shame. Like I, I use this example um, of driving a dually truck when my car was broken down. And one of my family members asking me, please don't park that in my driveway. (laughs) Mm. It's this embarrassment over what we own, you know. Um, And so we try to cope with it by pleasing man. That's a big one. And it can become a real trap of control and manipulation and guilt trips in our life where we're trying to measure up to some standard that's constantly shifting with what we own or how we behave and what groups we're in. And and really, um, that's a little shame, you know. And, uh, you know, whether it's even pride or uh, denial. And one of the key concepts in the book is hiding shame doesn't heal it. A lot of times that what, that's what we do. We give it another name. We pretend it doesn't exist. Those are just the, some of the common coping mechanisms that people use. What advice do you give someone who's experiencing shame that's the result of a traumatic experience? You talked about shame that you uh, had taken on because of something that your husband had done. What about uh, the individual who has suffered a traumatic experience and that kind of shame? Yes. So what's difficult about trauma is, as my dad used to say to me, is, you know, you're just not yourself right now, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you you're, it's like walking in mud. You know, you're just trying to function in everyday life. Trauma, you know, it's not just, oh, that happened, let's just get over it. So for me, the big thing was I had to get into God's Word. And I know that sounds like such an easy answer, but a lot of times we don't do that, right? I mean, I definitely did the let's go to the movies, let's go buy a dog, (laughs) you know, you do the escapes and things like that. But when you have things like, you know, what happened in my life and you just feel this sense of isolation, like Mm -hmm. no one has gone through what I've gone through and you just want to hide, 
that is the worst thing you can do. And so for me, it's really getting into God's Word. Uh, my children and I uh, did a Bible reading plan. We purposefully put ourselves in positions where we were around other people, uh, even though we didn't want to. We did a lot of things, probably too many things. You know, sometimes you can go overboard. But um, hiding it just isn't going to heal. And so it was when we finally were willing to talk about it in a redeeming way. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about going around and, and gossiping or you know, but people that we trust who are going to give us wise counsel to help us deal with these wide range of emotions we have. So it helps to be in community during that uh, that season. What one piece of encouragement as our time is drawing to a close would you give to parents who are walking with a child through an experience resulting in shame? Mm. You know, the first thing is uh, I don't I didn't force my children to talk about anything they didn't want to. They were already a victim, and part of that being a victim is you were forced to do something you didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I they knew I wanted them to know. Okay, I'm a safe place when they're ready. But I also we we know that we are not to lean on our own understanding. Scripture tells us that, and that our hearts are deceitful and beyond cure. And so where we had to have everything anchored was the Word of God. And so we we still I still served on the worship team. We were still in church. We, we got into God's Word together, and my children will tell you, I bought them so many thinking devotionals, they could never do them all. <laughs> but I was trying to find resources, anything that would meet them where they were at, that I knew I didn't have all the answers. I knew God's Word did, and devotions can be a tool, you know, to help us. And um, so that's really what we did. We just got into God's Word together, and we had those midnight, whenever they were willing to talk, and maybe behind a driving wheel, maybe at 1 o'clock in the morning, and just be available for your kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, the book is, uh, as we mentioned earlier, it's very practical. It emphasizes and encourages and equips a biblical perspective on the subject. And uh, what's possible is victory and freedom. The book is titled Shame Off You, From Hiding to Healing. Denise, thank you for sharing your story and for, uh, for the book that will help so many to get that shame off, as the title would suggest. Amen. And just for everybody, just know that your identity is not in your shame. It's in your Savior. Amen. He gave you a new identity. Amen. Thank you so much, Denise. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. God bless you. I should mention that Liz Curtis Higgs writes this of the book. Uh, Through each chapter, we sense the weight of shame lifting off our shoulders and the mantle of God's grace taking its place. The book is published by Abingdon. And again, the title is uh, Shame Off You from Hiding to Healing Denise Pass is the author. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. In the second hour, I'm looking forward to a conversation with Sandy Snavely and Connie McClelland. We're going to talk about the Masterpiece Conference, The Art of Finishing Well. That's coming up on the 20th of October. And if you're interested in information now, you can go to themasterpiececonference.com. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. So glad you're with us especially during this time of the program, because we want to make sure you know about a great event that's coming to our community on the 20th of October. And of course, I'm talking about the Masterpiece Conference, The Art of Finishing Well. This is for women of a certain age, those of us who are 50 and over, and those whose lives will be influenced by older uh, women. And with me today to talk about that is Sandy Snavely and Connie McClellan. They're both uh, working with um, uh, Masterpiece. In fact, Sandy is the keynote speaker. Uh, She shares her love with Jesus by using her artistic skills to paint pictures with words and turn them into messages that matter. In fact, uh, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in her life right now and her eloquent uh, recollections of what God is doing in a very difficult situation right now really um, illustrates uh, Sandy's heart and her her, uh, 
uh, creativity. Connie uh, loves Jesus for her faithful ministry to women. It makes her an attractive servant in God's family to followers. She uses her passion for the word of God and the gifts that he has given her to bring joy, fun, and a sincere welcoming presence to audiences as a speaker, a leader, and MC for countless events. And she will be the MC at the Masterpiece Conference. So welcome to both of you. I'm delighted to have you with me today. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Sandy, I want to begin with you because I think it's important that uh, listeners know that you're in a challenging season right now. And I think it just speaks so much uh, to who you are that in this difficult and challenging season, uh, you're, you're in a position where you're preparing to serve the women in our community. Tell us a little bit about what's going on. Well, I feel like it's a bit of a metaphor for life, um, what I'm going through right now, uh, mirroring so much, really, the messages that I'm going to be speaking on for Masterpiece, and that is Paul went to Nicopolis to spend the winter so he could continue by spring to spread the gospel. And then he gets to Nicopolis and he's arrested by Nero's men. And he's in a horrible prison cell knowing that he's going to be executed. And he would never be able to go um, around the world and preach the gospel again. Um, I am feeling very much in that kind of a situation. There's no sword at my throat. But um, my husband had a heart attack on um, the 10th of September. Life has completely turned around. I'm interviewing with you here from St. Vincent's Hospital, where my husband is in a medically induced coma to keep his body quiet and calm while they do their best to reignite the activity of his kidneys and to deal with the fluid around his heart. Um, It is a very uh, painful, difficult um, journey that we're on right now. And a part of what keeps me going with Masterpiece is how much bud my husband has Mm. been so committed to this conference and has been pushing me along since the very beginning. So we are following through with by faith, one step at a time. And but obviously, my heart uh, primarily is here. But I'm certainly understanding that this is a season in life where things can change so quickly. Mm. Now, Masterpiece Mission is to encourage older women who are loved by Jesus and devoting themselves to the art of finishing well as they set their hearts on becoming an example of strong faith, sound doctrine, and godly living for the next generation to follow. Tell us a little bit about this uh, this conference, which represents presents uh, women who attend a variety of churches in East County, uh, but the event being held at Grace Community Church, also in East County. Tell us a bit about that that background, that backstory. Um, well, Connie and I will both share that. Sure. Um, at first, I was reading through the Chronological Bible last year, finishing it up. I got to Timothy, and then First Timothy, and then moved to Titus, which follows chronologically. And as I got to the near the end of Titus, Paul says, come to me soon. I plan to winter in Nicopolis. I can't explain why that gripped my heart the way it did, but it just, um, it just gripped me. And then I, I moved into Second Timothy, which was Timothy's last letter he ever wrote. It was written from the prison cell that was actually underneath the streets of Rome that used to be a cistern. So it was, it was a horrible place, and he knew he was going to die. And my heart was just completely overwhelmed um, to the point of tears as I read, knowing he was never going to get out of that prison. He was going to die there for Jesus Christ. And so those two things, I plan to winter in Nicopolis, and then Paul says, bring me my cloak, my books, and my scrolls. The 
three most valuable things. All of the, it, life whittles us down at those times to only those things that are most important. Mm-hmm. So I shared with Connie, I, I knew God wanted us to do something with this. And I kind of knew what it was, but I didn't want to say it. And so she and I were having coffee and I would say, Connie, we, I feel like God wants us to do something. I feel like there's a message here for older women that we have got to finish well. And we have to entrust the gospel into the hands of the next generation. And how do we make that clear at a time when women, older women, are feeling very much disenfranchised from the rest of the community and the body of Christ? And And um, so, Connie, you share what followed with that. Well, first of all, um, Sandy and I go back, way back, like 25 years. And she's worked with women's ministries, and so have I. And so when we have coffee together, we often are discussing our love for women. And we love to meet women and talk to women in coffee shops, other places. And so when she was uh, sharing her heart about First and Second Timothy, ironically, I was going through First and Second Timothy at the same my Bible study and um, on Friday morning. And so we were just kind of sharing. I thought, that's funny that, you know, I was learning mm-hmm. some things from her. And so she said, I, I really want to do something with this and I don't know what to do. I feel like God is really leading me to. I said, why don't you write a Bible study? Because Sandy's really good at that. She, she's written Bible studies. <laughs> now, what is it that and, Sandy is not good at? Maybe well, we just... <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> we probably have to talk about that off air. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, she said, well, I really don't want to do that. You know, it's, you, you get done with that and people go through it, a few churches maybe, and then it's done. It kind of drops. And I said, well, what about a conference? She, her eyes got big and she's thinking in the back of my mind. She said, I was just afraid to say that because it sounds huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we just started um, sharing ideas back with what we call it. And it would be women over 50 and because we are. And um, and the women that we've talked to oftentimes, we have found um, needs in their lives that they are, are feeling lonely or you know, unseen. In fact, irrelevant, irrelevant. Mm, we, yes. we after we decided that, OK, maybe we need to do this, got very excited about it. And um, she wanted to call it Masterpiece. And so we called it Masterpiece, the Art of Finishing Well. And I went home that night and just for fun, started doodling around on my, uh, looking for something that we could uh, logo. And what came to my mind was the Mona Lisa because she's ageless. Everybody recognizes her, but she doesn't look happy. And she's a piece right. of, she's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't look happy. To me, she's not finished. And so what I did on computer is I made a hand that drew a face on it um, with a smile, with a brush that just gave her a little corner smile. Now she was finished to me. And as a joke, I sent it off to Sandy. <laughs> and she loved it. And she said, let's go with that. I did. So, yeah. but what we did. It was inspired. Connie <laughs> never thinks that she's good at these things. But it's, it, was, it was inspired. Everything about this conference has been God inspired. Mm, it's, it's fun. And um, we're finding more and more as it unravels how, how meaningful the Mona Lisa really is. Yeah, but, uh, we did. We we um, began asking women just randomly in coffee shops if some were church, some were not church. But the question was, um, how do you, if they were church, you'd say, how do you feel about this season of life in the body of Christ? Where do you see yourself? And honestly, I would say 90% would either say, yes. I don't know, um, um, unseen, irrelevant, uh, on the sidelines. Tired. Tired. I'm hmm. done. Done. And, yes. And 
That just broke our, that shouldn't be, that's not what Titus talks about. Right. We're talking about the Masterpiece Conference, The Art of Finishing Well. That's coming up on October 20th at Grace Community Church. That's the location, but it represents a collection of churches from East County that are behind this event. The cost is $30, and it begins in the morning at 9. You're finished by 3, so you can get all the stuff that you know women tend to need to do in the afternoon on a Saturday. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment, but I do need to take a quick break. By the way, if you'd like to see that portrait of Mona Lisa, you can go to the website, themasterpiececonference.com. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I am just delighted to have with me one by phone, one in studio. Sandy Snavely is joining us. She's the keynote speaker at the Masterpiece Conference. Also, I should mention that Connie McClellan, who's with me in studio, is the MC, but she's also teaching one of the uh, workshops as well. And we're just excited to have you with us today to talk about this very unique uh, conference that began with a study in God's Word, inspiration, a conversation between girlfriends, and now there's a conference that all of us who are 50 and over can benefit by. Now, just before the break, we were talking about the fact that women who were asked, women over 50 who were asked, uh, particularly those within the body of Christ, where do you see yourself? And some of the words that were used to describe um, the, the, their place in the body really are very sad to me, because when you consider that Scripture says that older women ought to have a role in influencing the next generation— um, you wonder, why do women feel displaced at this period, and what can we do differently? That's such a good question. Um, I think it's because um, our culture, um, we've watched our culture change over the last, um, I'm 72, so um, over the last many years, I have watched culture change dramatically and much of that change is wonderful, but then much of it is not. Families are completely separated, often from each other. And um, kids move into different states. Uh, parents are separated from their grandchildren. There, There's a huge separation locally and ge- geographically, but also in many ways emotionally and sadly spiritually. And so we live in separate compartments today. We have our cell phones, we have our computers, we have our laptops. If I need to ask a question, I can Google it. I don't have to Mm. call my mom. And so there is just such a, a different mindset today. And we have been finding that um, pastors are beginning. We, we have a huge um, enthusiastic response from the pastors in East County because they are seeing, as I hope many pastors are, that in the effort to win the younger generation to Christ, oh, don't we want to do that? We surely do. But in the process of that, um, older the Older Christians in our churches are not um, as much involved anymore. It's as if they've been kind of set aside and set apart while concentration has gone to winning the younger generation. You know, one of the things that concerns me about that that, um, uh, trend in the church is essentially what you're saying to young people is you are of great value to the body now, but when you reach a certain point— you're no longer of any any value to the church. So there is a, yes. an expiration date. We don't think about it that way, but that's precisely the no. message that we're giving. We want young people on the platform. When you're no longer young, eh, good luck. I hope it will. Yes. And so I think yes. a lot of displaced women, and I would imagine men as well, who are 50 yes. and over, feel that. And I think we rob the younger generation of the rich 
uh, wealth of, of diversity within the uh, the older members of our congregations. That's true. Preach at my sister. That's, <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're not using the resources mm-hmm. that are available to them through these, the, the older well, generation. Absolutely. And there's so much to be gained from the older generation mm-hmm. by the younger. And there's so much for the older generation to be to gain by the younger. And when we segregate uh, ourselves from one another, then I think the body loses something that God never intended. Exactly. Yes. And you know, as, as I was studying through Timothy, Second Timothy especially, the word entrust runs through Second Timothy so many times. And Paul's passion, it is the most passionate letter Paul ever wrote. It was very personal. But he was realizing as he's sitting in that, that prison by himself, he must entrust this gospel into Timothy's hands so Timothy can entrust it to the next generation. So I had this picture in my mind as I was reading through that of a 15-year-old girl giving birth to a baby and knowing she wasn't going to be able to raise it. And so she takes this baby and she entrusts it to, to a family to raise this child for her. It's that kind of passion that Paul expresses as he entrusts the gospel. So I don't want to do all the talking, but I want to give you a picture of what's going to happen at the end of the conference. Mm. Now we're talking about the Masterpiece Conference that's coming up on October the 20th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's going to be held at Grace Community Church, representing a number of churches in East County. And the cost is $30, which includes lunch. Uh, For those who are interested in more information and to register, you can go to the website, themasterpiececonference.com. Again, themasterpiececonference.com. Now, you were talking about what happens at the end of the conference. Are you giving us a bit of a glimpse into what what we might have to I'm going to give you a glimpse because every time Connie and I share this with women, they they get teary because it's so meaningful. And it was just another one of those great things that, that God has been doing in the planning. At the end of the conference, and this is why we want younger women to come. It's not just for older women. We want younger women to come so they can glean. So Mm. at the end, we are going to have the older women stand and stretch their arms out over the auditorium as the younger women sit. And then Connie and I will lead with a charge and a doxology as we entrust the gospel to this younger generation. Oh, that's beautiful. That way, we're passing it on. Yes, that is beautiful. Well, let's talk about the conference itself. As I mentioned, Sandy is the keynote speaker and so excited about the topics that you have chosen for the two sessions that you'll be speaking. Connie, you're the MC, but you're also teaching a session. Maxine Lawrence is the worship leader. She's been um, a, a servant and worshiper for many, many years and just a, just a sweetheart. I, I love her. Uh, tell us a bit about the presenters and uh, who's going to be speaking at the conference, either of you. Okay. Take it away, Connie. Oh, okay. Well, um, first of all, we have a, a master class that's called the Fine Art of Restoration and Love That Covers Everything. And that's going to be led by Ra- Raquel Thurman, Good Shepherd. Um, and Sandy, you just can interject anything you want to anytime you want to, okay? Well, we have the one that I'm, I'm so excited. I'm excited about all of them, but Broken Hallelujahs, Lifting yes. Your Prodigals into the Arms of Abba by Beverly Evans. And she is the wife of Keith Evans, the pastor of Pathway Church. 
Um, she's so passionate about this, but we are finding really um, there's a huge, huge, huge population of older women whose children are not walking with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this is a wonderful, wonderful masterclass for, for encouragement. How do I pray for my prodigal? How do I, how do I be an example without being a preacher? Um, how do we do this? And mm-hmm. she'll be talking about that. And then another one is The Color of Tears, Finding Comfort in the God Who Weeps. And that's going to be led by Bonnie Knopf. Mm -hmm. And boy, Bonnie has such a testimony of her own as she's gone through grief and she's gone through um, all kinds of trials that the Lord has just strengthened her through. She'll be a wonderful um, person to encourage these women as they come. And always with a song in her heart. Always, yes. Always, always. Julie Tadema, um, she's the only one who's not from East County, but she is such a an example of a woman of prayer and teaches prayer with her husband. Uh, so we, we, we let her come from outside East County. But hers, um, her master class is called Prayer, the Beauty of Divine Power. She's going to be talking about how to, how to pray with power um, without dictating to God what we want him to do, but having power through the Holy Spirit to pray in a way that moves mountains. Mm-hmm. Created for Worship, Preparing Your Heart for the Presence of God is uh, Beth Crosby's class. She's also from Good Shepherd. And she, I just met her for the first time just a few uh, weeks ago. She's a lovely woman who's so excited about doing this. And she's going to talk about what how worship really originates. It's from our heart. And oftentimes what we're hearing between the, the generations is a lot of times the older people are not really liking the younger music. Um, maybe it's too loud. It's, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the younger generation, they've kind of gotten away from the hymns, and a lot of them don't even know what hymns are. So somehow she's going to bring all of that together and make it um, something where we, we can uh, blend and... Um, live together with the worship because it's from from our heart, it's to our Lord, and it isn't something that we have to fuss over. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me because when we are together in fellowship, um, this is an opportunity for us to learn how are we going to influence the world? If we can't get along with one another over how the songs are done, then how on earth do we expect to turn the world upside down? So we, we, we don't come in order that my preferences are satisfied. We come humbly before God and we worship and lift up our our, our hearts to him in a yes. way that accommodates everyone in the group. Some songs are fast, some are yeah. slow, some I like, some I don't dislike. It's really not about me. Right. And to have someone talk about how do we do that well so that we reflect in our church service as well as every place else, uh, a body, a collection of people who live in community, who love one another, who forbear in, in times exactly. when perhaps my preferences aren't being met. What a great training ground that we often miss in worship. Yes, yes. Great, uh, great subject. Yeah. Okay. We have Celeste, Celeste Delaney is doing studying the classics, um, living a life worth remembering. So she is going to be introducing some of the amazing, you know, Peter says, look to the women of old. And she is has done historical research on some of the most amazing women um, who made a complete difference in the lives of the people around them. And their words and their love for Christ has endured from generation to generation. Women like Susanna Spurgeon, one of my very favorites, and poet Anne Steele, but also Sarah. <laughs> you know, it's just these women that um, every time we look back at what they've written, they still speak our hearts. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, we're going to need to take a break here in a moment. I'd ask the two of you to be with me for a couple of sessions. Do you have a few more minutes if we go to break and come right back? Sure. Yes, we okay. do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to do that then. I'm going to put you on hold, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about the Masterpiece Conference, The Art of Finishing Well. It's a conference for women over 50 and those who will be blessed by them. It's a wise young woman who recognizes the opportunity to glean from the older woman, and the older woman is wise when she recognizes she has something to offer in encouraging uh, the younger generation. Coming up on October the 20th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The cost is $30. That includes lunch. And the event is held at Grace Community Church on Southeast Hogan Road in Gresham. We're going to be back in just a moment again talking with Sandy Snavely and Connie McClellan. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And once again, continuing my conversation with Sandy Snavely, who is the keynote speaker at the Masterpiece Conference. And Connie McClellan, she is the MC, but she is also going to be presenting um, as a, a speaker at the event. She will be one of, what do you call it, the um, uh, one of the master class speakers mm-hmm. uh, for the event. Now, just before the break, we were talking about some of the uh, the speakers for uh, Masterpiece, The Art of Finishing Well, on uh, October the 20th. Uh, tell us about a couple of more. I think we left a couple out here. Well, I'll tell you about we mine. We left Connie. Yeah. We left Connie out, and <laughs> Connie will not ever talk about herself. So um, hers is called The Art of True Friendship, and it's encouraging relationships that matter. Mm. Um, Connie does this for a living. I mean, it's what she does. <laughs> she meets people in the coffee shop or in a grocery store and says, would you like to get together for coffee sometime? Um, she she just very naturally um, makes friends with people, but it always has a point and a purpose. She doesn't she doesn't um, she doesn't manipulate. She has such interest in people that um, she there's an open door then eventually to share the gospel as it relates to what they're going through. She knows how to follow Jesus' pattern of developing relationships mm. that matter. Well, and that's what we'll talk about in the class is is looking at Jesus as as our example for that. And um, and, and I th- it's a discipleship class, but the discipleship almost seems like a word people don't want to hear anymore. And so it I'm sounds calling like a it, program. It does. So we're going to look at how Jesus made friends, what his purpose was in making friends, and how he has given us that commission to do the very same thing, and that it really mm-hmm. isn't hard. Mm-hmm. And I think the best thing we can do for a friend is to tell them about Jesus, give them the good news. Not only have you made a friend on this earth that's a great true friend, but for all eternity. Yeah. Right. So we also, I, I, we have two others that are just so awesome that we haven't mentioned, but Barbara Dwing. Um, she's a she's 78. She is a tiny little pint-sized bundle of constant energy. She's the kind of person that says, "Wow, I I want to be like her when I grow up." <laughs> Um, but hers is fresh oil, renewing our strength through the beauty of praise. And this is how she lives her life. She lives her life um, with a deep understanding of the word and just a heart filled with praise. And then Leslie Nelson's um, class, master class, is called Wet Clay, Molding the Next Generation for the Sake of the Gospel. And this is going to be a, a panel. She'll have four women who are doing extraordinary things as an older woman. They are making 
lifelong changes in the lives of others in the ways that they serve, some in very simple ways and others in huge, dramatic ways. Mm -hmm. Now, I mentioned in passing that Maxine Lawrence is going to be the worship leader, and that's such an important part of a community of women coming together in conference Uh, like this. Tell us a little bit of, of Maxine and how worship will play a role in this uh, this wonderful day, the masterpiece, The Art of Finishing Well. Well, Maxine just lives worship. She, she, is, um, she doesn't just lead worship, she lives it. Uh, she lives in such a, a, she's just in awe of God, and that erupts in worship, but she's also immensely musically gifted. And so she is having a blast putting her worship team together. Um, she's selecting music that will um, help us all to remember those songs, as Connie was telling us early earlier, those beautiful hymns that are so theologically sound. Um, And that's what Paul taught was that we have sound doctrine. And so there's sound doctrine in those words. And uh, but then also incorporating some of the newer songs that are also rich in, in theology and but also in in adoration. And so her, she and her worship team, they are just actively pursuing how this time is, you know, there's just that corporate worship mm-hmm. that here's how I see what happens in corporate worship. We are singing to our God out of the love that pours forth from our hearts and heaven is joining in with us with um, joy that we've that reflects the eternal perspective of worship. So I think that's why when we get together to worship, it's so rich and profound because it doesn't just bounce off the ceiling, it goes somewhere. And Maxine knows that. You know, we don't want to forget, there's uh, one more that we didn't mention, and it's Diana Green's um, oh, masterclass Diana called Green. Stolen Art, Recovering yeah. Our Relevance in the Master's Design. Mm. Sandy, you want to explain that one a little more? Oh, that. She is taking a look at what causes women to feel um, like they're living in the land Mm -hmm. of uns, Mm -hmm. undone, unloved, unnecessary. And then she will bring in, even with a musical perspective, um, as well as a theological perspective, of who we truly are in Christ, what it means to be a masterpiece, and of recovering that identity. So it isn't built about, do I have wrinkles? Is my hair falling out? Am I, you know, too, am I too ill to ever serve in the body again? Um, all these relevant issues that we go through that cause us to feel irrelevant. So she's going to be twisting that around and turning it um, back to Christ and who we are in him. I'm so excited about a collection of older women who are sharing uh, what they have learned in their walk with uh, with God and sharing that with others of us who perhaps have felt, you know, perhaps my um, my relevance to the body of Christ, my usefulness, my place is no longer uh, needed or at least recognized, and calling women uh, over 50 together and those who will be blessed by them to really consider or reconsider what the scriptures have to say about us and our place in the kingdom. Uh, what an exciting opportunity we have to, uh, to come together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really and is. you know, Georgine, just as you were sharing so well about the heart of this conference, um, I, it, I think it needs to be made so clear clear that this is not a pity party. This is an encouragement 
mm-hmm. for women to um, to continue on and to finish well, but it is also to overcome their own sense of that generational gap, to um, engage in the lives of younger women without fear and mm-hmm. without intimidation, without feeling like they're less than. The only difference between an older woman and a younger woman is that one was born first. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much. <laughs> so we can look at younger women and say, listen, my sweet thing, I have walked 10,000 miles in your shoes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. That's what we should be doing. And what we're finding out is that the younger women really do want our input. Yes. I think it is such a scheme of the enemy to convince older women that Mm -hmm. no one wants to hear what you have to say. Your experience is no longer needed. And for younger women, older women really aren't interested in me. They, They, even though I would love to glean from them, I don't know how to approach them. And somehow to keep us apart in a way, that the, the body of Christ as a whole loses the, the full capacity uh, to flourish because we're, we're not connected to one another. And this, this conference, it seems to me, puts an end to that deception that we do need one another. We do have something to offer one another. There is an overflowing of the, of the heart, the desire to connect. And this is a great way to begin that connection and just put mm-hmm. the, the enemy aside and deprive him of a victory. That's right. And I think the biggest thing is is getting that connection and then being a good listener, mm-hmm. just sitting across yeah. a table with, from a younger person, having coffee, and just listening to what they're going through in our culture today. Believe it or not, there yeah. are differences mm-hmm. in the way we were raised and what oh, we yeah. dealt with with our kids. I mean, we could let them out to play on the front yard and not worry about it. They can't do that. This yeah. culture and this age, these women have to sit there with them if they're in the front yard and then um, and, and watch them so that... Something doesn't happen to them. That's a whole different kind of a thing than what we, you know, go out and play. So what you're describing and encouraging is an exchange that we both have something of value to offer the other. Now, I've mentioned that you can go to the website, themasterpiececonference.com. Uh, for the uh, details of the October 20th conference, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Grace Community Church. The cost is $30. Now, for listeners, and there are some who aren't really on the Internet much, is there another way to uh, register for the conference? Wow. That's um, a good point. <laughs> it is a very good point, and I would say this is another opportunity to develop relationships with other people. If you don't get on the Internet, find someone who does. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's just so incredibly easy mm-hmm. to register. It's very, very simple. So, you know, our, our motto has become for this, um, bring, let me, let me say it just exactly right, Bring your mother, bring your daughter, bring your mentor, bring your friend. So if you want to come to this conference, grab a younger woman and say, hey, could you help me figure this out? And um, Or ask your friend, your neighbor, your daughter, your mentor. Register together and um, you can do that. You could also call Grace Community Church if you are that, you know, if you just cannot um, find a way to register. Or just walk through the doors on Saturday morning and we'll register you then. All right. Mm -hmm. Again, we're talking about uh, the Masterpiece Conference, The Art of Finishing Well. And there's a 
tremendous collection of women who are going to be presenting master uh, classes uh, during the day. Sandy Snavely will be the keynote speaker. It's going to be a great day. Again, the 20th of October, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Cost is $30. That includes lunch at Grace Community Church. Uh, What time will the doors open on the uh, 20th? They will open by around 8.15 Okay. And um, so, yeah. So if you're planning on registering that day, 8.15, you can show up right around then. Well, thank right. you to both of you, not thank only you. for this conversation today, but for birthing this uh, this ministry that I think is going to be a real blessing to women in our community. Well, thank you. It, we, and we and we're grateful that. to God for it. <laughs> <laughs> we're praying for you and Bud, Sandy. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Georgine. God bless. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, I want to remind you that all across the world, millions of students, millions of them are going to gather at their school's flagpoles. And that's Wednesday, September 26th. And they're praying for their schools, their friends, their families, churches, communities, and the nation at the annual See You at the Pole event. Now, this is a day students are committed to global unity in Christ and interceding for their generation. And this is a significant thing. This is uh, directed by and led by uh, young people as they stand around the flagpole of their respective schools, again, all around the world, not just here in the United States. And we're talking about millions of students who are doing uh, just that. The theme this year is broken, taken from I fall on my knees before the Father in Ephesians 3.14, acknowledging that we are in an era, we're in a time when our nation certainly is broken and as individuals, many are broken as well. Well, See You at the Pole began in 1990. It was a grassroots movement with 10 students praying at their school, and it's become an international movement of prayer among young people. It's now in its 28th year. More than 3 million students participate in more than 20 countries on their campuses on the fourth Wednesday in September. You might want to mark your calendars. Well, the First Amendment guarantees that students have the right to pray individually or in groups on school grounds during any non-instruction time. So all the students can express their opinions verbally or in writing before or after school in between classes during the lunch hour or on the playing field, according to the federal guidelines on prayer in public schools. And you can find that, by the way, at Liberty Council's website, the federal guidelines on prayer in public schools. Well, Liberty Council and other organizations support all students who exercise their constitutional right to pray during the annual See You at the Poll event, the Global Week of Student Prayer and throughout the school year. That's a quote from Matt Staver. He's the founder and chairman of Liberty Council. These uh, Christian young people are leading the way and providing an incredible example that all people should follow. Now, one of the things that this inspires me to do as I see young people early in the morning uh, around flagpoles and schoolyards all across the country is to remember to pray for them as an adult, to pray for the school in my community, to pray for the schools that I drive past on my way to and from uh, work or to and from places that I frequent that we have a tremendous opportunity to be in prayer for them. They certainly need it, and it's especially for young people who are believers in an environment that's not necessarily welcoming to them. I would also encourage you to check out Prep for Kids, and that's with the, the number for Prep for Kids for more information on how you can support young people within the schools with a release time that's allowed in the state of Oregon. We'll be talking with some folks from Prep for Kids at some point in the not-too-distant future, so uh, listen up for that. Also, pro-life crisis pregnancy centers are not only providing services which save the lives of unborn babies and women, but they're also saving communities millions of dollars every year. And that's according to a recent report. 
The Charlotte Lozier Institute released an 80-page report last week in a detail that pro-life pregnancy centers across the nation provide free services last year to 2 million people and saved communities about $161 million. The A Half Century of Hope, A Legacy of Life and Love study was conducted by Institute researchers. They analyzed the impact of 2,600 of the estimated 2,750 centers in the United States in 2017. Well, services including pregnancy Pregnancy tests, um, options consultation, sexual risk avoidance education, parenting and prenatal education, ultrasound and medical services, community referrals, material support were offered to women, youth and men. The study also found that 400,100 free ultrasounds were administered, registered nurses and medical sonographers. Um, they contributed 400,100 hours of free services last year and 679,600 free pregnancy tests were given out last year year as well. Approximately 67,400 people volunteered at pregnancy centers and 7,500 medical professionals offered their time and skills to conduct services for free. Now keep in mind, pregnancy resource centers receive absolutely no public money. The pregnancy centers also reported having seen around 24,000 clients for after abortion support and saw over 1 million students attend community-based sexual risk avoidance education presentations. Now the study states that recognized as one of the greatest volunteers Volunteer-based movements in history, pregnancy centers hand down a legacy of love to protect unborn children, as well as assist women and men facing some of the most difficult situations life has to offer. Pregnancy centers have grown into a global movement and remains a testimony to love in action. The report highlights the tremendous service contributions of pregnancy centers, several of the incredible life stories in which they have uh, played a significant role, the numerous ways in which centers enhance maternal, women's and child's health or, or children's health, and their massive contributions to family and community well-being in the United States. Um, an interesting study uh, explaining what we already um, know about these centers. We also know that there's been a, a concerted effort to try to undermine the work that they're doing or put an end to them altogether. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, they are thriving. Consider, for example, Maria. The name is not the uh, actual name, but she came to a pregnancy resource center. She was determined to have an abortion. After repeatedly visiting the Pregnancy and Family Resource Center for several months, she finally came in one day and said, OK, I've decided not to abort. Now what do I do? Well, with the help of the center staff, Maria now has a beautiful little girl whose name means Light of Hope, and the child's life is uh, bringing extended family from Mexico together to spend time with her. Well, this recent study by the Charlotte Lozier Institute confirms the priceless value of pro-life pregnancy centers. Uh, in uh, our communities. Uh, these centers help save the lives of babies and women by providing support, which empowers mothers and fathers to make uh, decisions, choices they can live with, both them and their children. Many volunteers give back to their communities by donating services that would typically cost millions of dollars every year. And uh, we want to just salute pregnancy resource centers all across the country. There are some fine PRCs in our own community. We talked with Options 360 that uh, operates in Vancouver on the other side of the river. We have the Portland metro area pregnancy resource centers and others dotted throughout the Portland metro area. If you're not familiar with the PRC in your community, let me encourage you to do a little homework. Find out where they are, what they're doing, and support them. And you can do that in a variety of ways. You can certainly pray for them. You can financially support them. You can volunteer. You can provide them with resources that are then passed on uh, to women and their children when they uh, choose to carry their children to term. Congratulations to pregnancy resource centers doing what we've already 
already known they've done very well all across the country. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with um, April Yamasaki. She's the author of Four Gifts, Seeking Self-Care for Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength. I hope you'll join us. I want to thank James Blind for producing and engineering today's program, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.